Welcome to Le Podcast on Emerging Leadership. I'm Alexis Monville. Today, we have a special trade for all of you who are navigating the complexities of remote work and leadership. We are joined by Lisette Sutherland, a pioneer in the realm of remote collaboration. She is the force behind Collaboration Superpowers, a platform that equips people and companies to work together from anywhere. Lisette is also the author of the book, Work Together Anywhere, a comprehensive guide to thriving in a remote environment. And the book is now available in French, by the way. With her hands-ons, workshops, and her own podcast, she's been helping teams across the globe to connect and collaborate effectively, no matter where they are. Hey, Lisette, uh, how do you introduce yourself to someone you just met? I try to keep it as simple as possible because nobody wants to hear a long story. So I always just say, I help teams work better together remotely. I kind of leave it open. And that way, if people want to ask a little more, they can ask it from whatever angle they want to. And otherwise, if they look at me with dear eyes, I just kind of move on to the next subject and I, and I ask about them. I love it. Can you share a specific moment or experience that led you to specialize in, in remote work? Yeah, I mean, it was a long series of small events, but really the where it actually started was when I was living in Los Angeles almost 20 years ago. And I was working for a man who was building at that time an online project management tool. Now, you have to remember, this is 20 years ago, and those tools were not available. Basecamp had just started. You know, Zoho was still a very popular tool on the market. I mean, it was, was really a while ago, so there's not that many tools out there. So the tool was interesting in and of itself because it was just interesting. But he had us all over to his living room one day, and he sat us all down. He had like a, a pool. It's Los Angeles, so many people have pools. So he had a swimming pool. So it was like a pool party, but he sat us all down, and he started to explain his vision. And his vision was he wanted to end aging. So he wanted to stop aging. So his goal was he didn't want to die. And so he was trying to figure out how to get longevity scientists collaborating together so that they could solve the problem of aging. And he realized that these scientists didn't live in the same town. And so he needed to create a tool for them to collaborate and share data and solve this problem. And so I remember sitting in his living room and like my mind was blown, right? I was just like, what a wild idea. And I thought, well, why not? You know, like, why not? But the thing that happened was it got me thinking about what else could we do if location wasn't an issue. So like, could we solve cancer? Could we global warming? You know, so there's a, there's a bunch of things that played into it. One was also that I had quit my job earlier and I worked for a, a big office and I, I didn't quite understand why I needed to quit the job. I just knew in my body that I needed to quit. And eventually I learned later that it was because the office was so ugly and I was having an allergic reaction to just the gray walls and the cubicles you know, so all of this sort of played into me getting interested in remote work. And I just started asking people how they were working remotely, what they were doing, and, you know, everything else followed in a long series of events. But it really all started with that weird conversation in that man's living room. That's very interesting <laughs> because that's more than remote work. That's really that idea of remote collaboration. Exactly. I don't care about remote work at all. For me, it's way more exciting because what ended up happening after that conversation was my favorite band from when I was a teenager. 
I had met them because I'd been to so many shows, you know, but, and my favorite band called me to see if I could go on tour with them. Now, because I was working for this band who was building an online project management tool, I was able to work from the van with my team during the day with a mobile router stuck onto the window of the van. And at night I was tour manager and I was selling merchandise and part of the band. And I, I was on tour with them for years doing this. And so the freedom that being able to work from anywhere offered me changed my life in that way, right? I was all of a sudden, I could work from anywhere. And so I started thinking like, what am I doing in Los Angeles? Like, I could go anywhere. Like, why am I here? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it was bigger than remote work indeed. Hey, that's excellent. Are you originally from Los Angeles? No, I have a weird history in terms of that. I grew up in Germany um, for the first 10 years of my life and then went to the U.S. for 25 years. I consider myself American. My my roots somehow where I grew up is American. But then 15 years ago, I moved to the Netherlands and I've been in the Netherlands ever since. And uh, now I have Dutch citizenship, so I'm never going back. But but yeah, so I, I'm kind of a mix. That's well connected with working from anywhere and exactly. living from where you, you feel that your your place, your home is. That's That's really cool. And it opened me culturally also to understand how different cultures can be. So just to have an awareness of that. So that, that also helped. I can totally relate with that. When you're used to work with people only from the same country, you, you start to understand really where the interaction, the way they communicate. And suddenly when there's someone from another country that don't have exactly the same norms in terms of communication. So when you... you get to work with people in a lot of different countries that change your perceptions of other people. Yeah, indeed. And you never think it's going to be that big of a deal. I mean, I moved from the U.S. to the Netherlands, so it didn't seem like it was going to be that huge of a culture change, but it's the little things. It's all the details. Yeah, never underestimate <laughs> all the details. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can you recall a, a challenging remote work situation and how you navigated it? In the early days, all the remote situations were challenging in that uh, it was unusual and the internet connection wasn't good everywhere. And so, you know, I say like I was working from the van, but it was quite painful to try to really interact with the team. For me, the most challenging remote work situations now, now that the tech is better, comes in the personalities of the people that I'm working with on teams, right? So it's the conflict, it's the trying to understand somebody else. That I think is where, uh, where it's super challenging now, even for me at this time, is just really trying to navigate personalities hmm. and figuring out why people are the way that they are. Because I, I tend to be very judgmental and defensive, which are not good qualities. And And so it's extra hard work when something happens to not have that knee-jerk reaction of like, what the heck is, you know, what the heck? You know, I, I really have to force myself into curiosity mode. So I think for me, that is the most challenging situation. I know it's not a specific one, but I wrestle with it weekly. I like that you are self-aware enough to be able to catch yourself. Sometimes. <laughs> I'm not, I'm no angel. I will admit I am no angel, but I am working on it. Do you have a, a real life example where poor communication led to a problem in, in the remote setting? Yeah, for sure. I'm thinking back when I was on the management 3.0 team 
and they're, they're, the team changed quite a lot, people coming in and out, but there's one, a couple people on the team, actually, there's one person where they worked at a different rhythm than the rest of the team. Like they were just so much faster. I don't know what happened. They were like on, on, I don't know what it was. They were just like moving at a, on freight train speed and the rhythm really threw everybody off. And we were having a hard time communicating about it because you don't want to tell somebody to slow down. Like that doesn't seem, you know, you're like, you know, you're too good, right? Because he was kind of taking every pieces of everybody's jobs because he was just getting them all done. And everybody kind of felt like they're, they're getting stepped on. So that was a very challenging situation because we all wanted to applaud his enthusiasm. And yet we were all really annoyed by how like many things he was trying to take care of. So that was a difficult conversation. And then there was another one where the personalities just didn't gel. And in that case, it prompted us to create a new section in our team agreement about how we were gonna handle conflict as a team. Like when it comes up, what steps are we gonna take? Because what ended up happening was everybody was talking behind everybody's back and it's online. So you're just in all these private chats all day, you know, like whispering to everybody back and forth about what's going on. And it just wasn't helpful. And so eventually what we ended up doing is one, we brought in an outside facilitator to help facilitate the conversation because everybody was too close to it. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that was odd in that situation was we had a very flat structure. There was no boss, like there was no one in charge. And so when a situation like that arose, there was no manager to make the decision. Right. We just had disagreements and nobody to make the the top decision on like which way to go. And so we brought in an outside facilitator that just had no skin in the game. You know, they were just there to facilitate the conversation. And that really helped. And from there, we built our processes for the future. But I have to be honest, we never ended up getting along like we just never liked each other. But I also learned that you don't have to like each other to work well together. You can still work well together and not be friends. That's also okay. That's a good one about building your team agreement and evolving your team agreement. And maybe sometimes you need to, that's okay. Uh, I like your second point about you don't need to be friends. Uh, it's a, it's, it's an interesting one about what are your expectations on being on the team. And, and for some people, that's definitely befriending everybody. And it's not necessarily helping them or helping the team. So it's an interesting challenge. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is weird because you have to be professional, but not, I mean, it's great when you become friends. Some of my closest friends are people that I work with, yeah. like, you know, forever, you know, Canadian Dave, I've worked with him since I was 22 years old and, you know, we're still friends to this day. And yeah, but I, I did learn you have to be professional, but you don't have to be friends. It's great when it happens, but it's not a requirement. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. So tell me, have you consulted for a company that successfully transitioned from the traditional setting to remote work? I have never consulted really. So I'm not a consultant. And I've made the distinction early on and I'm wrestling with it now because I'm wondering like, maybe I should consult with people. What I have always done is give workshops. And so I, what I've done is I go into a company and I give a workshop and we create a super action plan. And then usually in the companies that I work with, they've got an agile coach or a scrum master, somebody on their team that's helping them integrate these new practices into their everyday work. Because I think with remote work, what it actually is in the end is a change management program. And so 
I specialize in giving the workshops and seeding the information. And then there's an agile coach usually or a consultant already at the company that takes over Mm. or one of my facilitators. They also do consulting. So anytime a company wants me to take them through the process, I hand them over to the experts of change management or the agile leadership sort of method. I don't specialize in that, but I have interviewed and I have given workshops for hundreds of companies now. Well, I wouldn't say hundreds that have transferred from in-person to remote. That is a more recent phenomenon, but definitely dozens of companies now that have transitioned. What are the things, the typical things that need to go through or they need to already understand so, so it can work? Yeah, one is I always start people off by saying you really need to start with yourself and creating for yourself a personal user manual for what it is that you need in order to be productive. Get really clear on that so that if you need to be around people, then make sure that you build that into your day. Or if you really, you know, if you're not getting enough movement or whatever your why is that you're trying to work in this way, really be clear. From there, then I always say you've got to build a team agreement. And everybody knows this. I've been saying it for since the beginning. One of my first interviews was about creating team agreements. And I was like, oh, yeah, that seems like an obvious one. And I've been teaching it ever since. And yet I would say 85, 90 percent of all companies that come to my workshops have no team agreement in place. And so creating a team agreement is the next thing. And then the other biggest thing that people are running into is communication overload. Too many meetings, too many emails, just the bombardment of information coming in. It's not slowing down <laughs> is the problem, right? We've tried filters. We've tried flags. We've been you know, priorities on the emails, the, the channels. It doesn't stop the information from coming. And so that is, I would say, that is the biggest challenge or one of the biggest challenges that people are struggling with now is when you're together in the office, you can kind of manage that information overload by proximity because you're all together. But when you go hybrid, especially, or just, let's just say remote, flexible first, let's say flexible first. So however you're working, that information overload with everybody in various locations has to be managed differently than we're doing it now. Have you observed an innovative work model recently that solved those kind of issues? Yeah, indeed. And the gold standard for this is WordPress because they've been working with their, they created a system, a blogging system called P2 years ago and have actually eliminated email from the company pretty much 15 years ago. And what essentially what they've done is every time a decision needs to get made, you know, it ha- it goes into sort of a sort of blog sort of post where others can add information to it. Maybe you want a loom video or a link or outside information, right? And everything sort of gets documented. And over time, what it's done is it's created an organizational blockchain of all their decisions that get made. And so instead of all these emails going back and forth or a meeting about why is this thing blue? they have a record of their organization and all their decisions that they can go back to so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time. So I find that a really innovative way because they found a way to document things in a, in a way that is useful. Otherwise, you know, it's just information everywhere. So you've really got to organize it. And then another innovative work model that I've seen is just a company that actually has, this is one that has recently transitioned from in-person to remote. A company in Germany, and they're a huge company with thousands of people, and they have started to run 
hybrid PI planning sessions. So for those, I think I know your, your audience is very agile, so you'll know the PI planning sessions, but these are basically very large meetings of like a hundred people that are planning the next, let's say two to three months. I think it's maybe six, seven weeks. I'm not sure how many sprints they're planning for, but they're planning for like the next two to three months. And they're doing that all together. Usually you want to do it in the same room with like a big whiteboard with sticky notes and everybody's there together, Mm -hmm. but they're doing it across three time zones, Malaysia, Canada, and Europe. So it's like 12 hour difference and they're doing it in a hybrid way. And so I've found that just the focus and the attention that they're putting on that to make it happen, I find it very modern and refreshing. It's not ideal and it's very hard, but it's a reality for many teams. You, of course, you'd want to do PI planning in the same room together. Of course, you would want that. Yeah. But the reality is you can't. So then what? And so that's the innovation there I'm really enjoying. That's very impressive. How many people are there involved in the hybrid PI plannings? 100. Oh, that's quite a lot. Okay. It's quite a lot. And the, and the guy that did it, he really experimented with it in the beginning. What he did is he actually ran practice sessions with all of the teams before they did an actual PI planning session. And they just did it to get used to how do you behave on the whiteboard? How is it going to be used? How are we going to communicate with each other as it's happening? You know, like, let's run through a demo together. So they did that. And then they actually ran the session and it's working. I mean, it's still painful, but the reality is that they can't get everybody together. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a front <laughs> of the brutal reality. It's a, it's usually a good idea, but yeah, yeah, those big room plannings are when they are in person are when they are in person and well facilitated are usually really good. Uh, but when you cannot do it, you need to find another big room and, uh, and an online can work. It's interesting. I love the idea of the practice session. Totally. Number of time when you start something and you make the assumption, don't ever make assumptions, that everybody will be able to use the tools and and then you realize that they are not able to connect or they, are, they don't understand how to even create a sticky note and you spend the first half hour to try to explain to people while others are really frustrated by those that are that's not really a good start. Totally. Yeah. Dress rehearsal is, it was brilliant. It was really brilliant. And you know, it took him so much time. Like he really spent a lot of time on this. However, he now, they can now do PI planning sessions on a regular basis. You know, anybody new that comes in will be helped by the collective of people that are already working on this. And so uh, what he did is he, you know, he spent a considerable amount of time up front to get them up and running, but now they're up and running and they're only going to get better from here. Right. So the superpower that this company has now developed, I think was well worth any investment that they made into that. Could you share with us an anecdote about a remote team building exercise that had already a significant impact? Yeah, this is interesting. So this one was a hybrid experience that I had, but so I was working with the, these people in person and remote. So it was a hybrid situation, but I was the only woman on an all-male team. And 
I don't, I, you know, it never, it didn't even occur to me. It wasn't a thing, but it was just that I was the only one. And it was so odd, like I was the, you know, so obvious. And I was the only American on a team of all Dutch men. So there's a lot of differences already. And I have a naturally enthusiastic personality. And I don't know whether that's because I lived in America or it's just who I was from the start. I don't know. <laughs> but I was really trying to tone it down and keep a professional distance with everybody. And, you know, just being sort of very professional and not letting my enthusiasm or sort of my natural humor come out. Also, my humor doesn't come across as well in other languages sometimes. <laughs> I, can, you know, I can really express myself better in English. <laughs> so, But I played moving motivators with one of the people at the office. I think he had seen it on my desk or he knew that I was, it was just in the beginning when I was first starting to work with Jurgen and all of these things. And he saw moving motivators and we actually played a game of moving motivators together. And what happened from the game is it turned out that his primary motivator was relatedness, meaning that he needed to be friends with the people that he worked with. That was really important to him much more than anything that he was working on. And he had been trying to be friends with me and I was like shutting him down. And when I saw that his big thing was relatedness, it was like this aha moment and it, it allowed me to let the guard down a bit. And we became friends and we're still friends to this day. And I really, I think I owe it to that game because I didn't realize he was trying to reach out. And so one of the, I guess, to bring it back to remote, one of the things that I think the context that we sometimes miss when we're remote is, is what people need in order to feel connected on a team. And so I think that's the thing that I learned from that is you really have to ask people what they need in order to feel connected. He needed friendship. And I was just trying to fit in. So, so yeah, that was, yeah, that was a, that was a, a mind blower. It was a game changer for me because now I think in those terms. Yeah, I will put links for the listener. Jürgen is Jürgen Apello. Moving Motivators is one of the Mentor 3.0 tools. So a few things that I will put links to because those are really amazing things. And you're absolutely right. That, that connectedness that sometimes we are able to build in person more easily, but not always because you still need to be intentional about it. Online, it will you definitely need to be intentional. So using those kind of games, understand the motivations of others. That's fantastic. You're also the host of um, a podcast I love. That's Collaboration Superpowers. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell me about a story that on one of your podcasts that had already a significant impact on your understanding of remote work, remote collaboration? I mean, there's been so many do the podcasts in order to learn myself. That's what I mean. I've never, I look back and I see how people use their podcast as a sales tool. And I'm a little bit ashamed because I've never even thought about it. Like for me, the podcast was always a way of networking with people that I wanted to talk to. So I'm like looking back, like, how could I use this more as like a, a sales funnel? But I, I just, it never even occurred to me, which is so silly. So, um, you know, from the beginning, I spoke with, you know, these are all things I knew, but they were really reinforced because I was speaking with experts in their field. So there was one, Theo Heron, he's a creativity expert from Sweden, and he wrote a book about why it's important to change your place when you work. 
And I remember him saying, like, if the best place for you to work is at the office, then you need to work at the office. You know, he has yet to meet, a you know, one person that says 100% of the time, all year round, the office is the best place to work. So he really solidified for me that it was important for people to change their place just for the sake of creativity and innovation, right? Sitting in that same gray cubicle every day was not innovative. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so that was a mind blower. When I spoke with Phil Montero, I mentioned this earlier, Phil Montero was one of the leaders in this field way back in the day, and he was just too early. He was like way, way ahead of his time, but he's the one that came up with the team agreement. And in fact, I took it with his permission and ran with it, but he's the one that said to me, you must have a team agreement. And this was reinforced recently by when I spoke with astronaut Paul Richards in January, I wanted to interview him about extreme remote collaboration, like remote, like what, are, you know, they're working from space. You know, we're just talking about time zones between like here in New Zealand, right? Like space is different. And what he really said is astronauts train to have the right information at the right place at the right time. And a good example of this is in Houston at headquarters, all the channels are open and everybody's listening in on all the channels. Right. So it's just madness. It's just you can hear and see everything. So it's like having Microsoft Teams and Slacks and everything open all at the same time. Right. Madness. But they all have specific protocols about if you need to get attention in a particular place or if you need to show somebody something in particular, that there is a protocol that you use. And then all of a sudden that person is dialed in. Right. And so it occurred to me that that is similar to what we need on remote teams or hybrid teams. I, I use them interchangeably is that we need intentional working is the superpower. That is the key to making it all work is, you know, there's no one right method. There's no one right tool. It's all about being intentional about how you work together. That is the only way. If the astronauts left it to chance, it would be madness. And it's the same for remote. You can't leave it to chance. That's very interesting. Once again, the intention is really key. So we spoke a lot about remote and hybrid. How important is face-to-face -face interaction in that age of hybrid remote work? I think it's really important, but I don't say it's critical. I don't say, I mean, it's not necessary. You can do team building online. It's possible. We've seen evidence of it in many different places. I have my own anecdotal evidence that I can share. But face-to-face -face sure does... Uh, it sure does make things faster and it enhances it. So it sort of acts as, oh, I'm going to forget the word. I want to say enzyme, but it's not an enzyme. It's something, it's, it makes things go faster. It, uh, it speeds it up. I can't think of the word right now. But what, so what I would say is, I mean, my experience with the Management 3.0 team was we worked together for four or five years before we ever got together in person because I was insistent that if anybody could build a remote team, I could do it, right? Like what kind of, what... What sad confidence that was. And then we got together in person and it changed the whole thing. Like we got an Airbnb in Portugal and Lisbon and the team went out one night and we just got, I mean, alcohol was involved. We were very drunk and dancing in the streets of Lisbon and having the best time. And it changed the dynamic of the team. We were like a very close tight-knit team after that. We had really shared something special with that. And we laughed the whole night and the rest of the weekend. It was great. And from then on, we met every six months and it only enhanced the bonds of the team. We were close before, but we were, we were different after. I must say it was really different. So now I really recommend that people do it. Hmm. The thing is, is that I know you can build a 
a bond without it because I also worked with a woman for nine years. Um, she was in California and I was in the Netherlands. We virtually co-worked together for nine years and she was one of my closest friends. And so we did finally meet in person right before the pandemic uh, for the first time. And it was fun because I knew I knew her whole apartment because I'd worked with her for nine years. So I'd like had breakfast with her in the morning. I'd been to the bathroom when she put on her makeup, you know, like, you know, I'd seen I've been on all the dates that she's been on. And I didn't go on the dates with her. But, you know, like I got to hear about all the dates that she'd been on. So I'd like seen her clothes and helped her pick out outfits and, you know, like we had a real friendship as if we were hanging out together. So it's possible. It just takes a long time. It's very, very interesting to see the difference. The Airbnb aspect of it. I was on one team that we, we had a Airbnb too. And cooking the meal together is making you really close. That's probably an experience that people need to leave from time to time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, there's just nothing like sharing a big pile of nachos together and just hanging. It's, there's just nothing like that online yet. And uh, yeah, I don't believe in replacing that either. I think people were naturally like that. Yeah. So, Evozi, but do you have a, a real life experience when remote work, remote collaboration fail? Well, we see it everywhere. It's failing now, right? There's all the return to office mandates that are happening now. So I would say we're actually seeing remote failing on a mass scale at the moment because leaders are saying that productivity is down, people are disappearing, and the culture is suffering. Mm -hmm. People feel less connected to the company now. And I, I can't dispute that. I mean, the data shows that productivity is a bit down. And you're hearing stories of shenanigans, but that's because those are the fun stories to hear, right? The people that have two to three jobs, the the people that are just, you know, they've got like a robot moving the key, the mouse, so that it looks like they're active. And I mean, I think we're just seeing remote work fails everywhere in the moment and because it's not for everybody. And if you want to do it, you really have to set yourself up to do it well. Hmm. So, I mean... Yeah, I, I can't dispute the data. People are, one is people are less connected to the companies, but I also think, you know, that's somewhat the company's responsibility also, because we need to figure out like, what do people need in order to feel connected to the company? Yeah, I have the, the feeling that it, we are blaming remote work for that lack of connection and lack of engagement. But at the same time, when I look at the, the Gallup survey that they are doing for more than 20 years now, Engagement was already low for a lot of companies for a really long time. So yes, we can blame remote work. I'm not completely sure the the, the reason is is there, and the mandate to be back to the office will really with that. So I would encourage people to to dig a little bit deeper than, than that. I totally agree. I've been saying, and I shouldn't say I shouldn't say this on a podcast. But okay, <laughs> I think that remote work is being used as a scapegoat for poor management. Yeah, I think they're blaming remote work, but actually, it's it's the way that we're it's the way that we're working that's not that's not working. And it's, but it has nothing to do with remote. It's just that it's highlighted by remote. You can't hide it with remote. Yeah, that's a uh, weirdly enough. I like that. So, can you tell us about an upcoming workshop or event you're particularly excited about? 
Well, I'm experimenting with two new kinds of events. So we all, you know, we have the workshops about remote working. We've got one on hybrid and leadership and the work together anywhere is our flagship workshop. And those are all standard well-oiled machines at this point. Like we've given them thousands of times. Like we know the, the right, the right stuff is good. I'm experimenting now with something called an icebreakers playground. And the point of this is to just play around with various icebreakers and various tools to understand their effect on group dynamics. So for example, if you're trying to get a group to get together and have, have big ideas, you want them to think outside the box, right? And do something new. Are there exercises that you can do remotely to warm a group up? in that way, mm-hmm. or, you know, like maybe it's a new tool. And so I, I've called it the icebreakers playground because one, it's experimental for me. I don't know what's gonna happen. And so, you know, in my designed workshop, I know exactly what's gonna happen. It's been designed mm-hmm. that way, but in the playground, it's really experimental. And so I'm very uncomfortable with the, the improv of it all because it never goes as planned. <laughs> and yeah, it's always a bit scary as a facilitator because mm-hmm. it never goes as planned but it's really fun to play around with all these different activities and exercises for just how to get to know each other and how to create a specific group dynamic. And then the second event that I'm working on is um, virtual co-working sessions. And what these sessions are, are basically, we use the Pomodoro technique. People show up, they say, what are you, what are you going to get done over the next two hours? And then we and we do like a quick icebreaker. What are you going to get done? That just lasts less than 10 minutes. And then we do 30 minutes of focused work. We have the camera on and the sound off. And then we take a five-minute break. We come back, do 30 more minutes, another five-minute break, and then a third 30-minute session. And then we end by checking in with each other for what did you get done? How's it going? And we do a little celebration. And then we move on with our day. And they're just... I mean, it's amazing how much you get done with three 30 fo- with 30 minute focus sessions. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how much more you focused when other people are there watching you. <laughs> Cause sometimes I'm, you know, like my mind is, I have like monkey brain, right? It's all over the place. And so I'm like, Oh yeah, I could, I'm like, no, no, no. I, I'm doing this task. I'm focused here with this person. Oh no, no, no. You know, I'm, no, I'm doing this task. So it's, it's, and it's really fun. They're free. You know, we're just playing around with them just to get stuff done and see what it's like to virtually co-work with each other, what comes up. So those are two events that I'm really enjoying. That's a fantastic excited about it. I know that there's some tasks that I really want to do them. As soon as I start to work on it, I'm already procrastinating. And I'm already yeah. finding new things to do or things to fix or, oh, let me do. And then an hour passed. So maybe we'll, uh, I will go to one of your co-working sessions. Good. Yeah, that's exactly what these sessions are for. Like if you're at home alone, you know you need to do it. You don't really have to do it though, right? Like if you don't get it done, it's not going to yeah. hurt anything. But it's, it's exactly for tasks like that. So yeah, join us. Join us and have some accountability. It's super. That's very cool. So where can our listeners follow you to get more real world tips on remote work or remote collaboration? Well, what I've done is I've put together, I call it a super kit. It's a remote working success kit. And it has a guide for creating your personal user manual, how to set up a team agreement, um, some time zone tips. And it's got also the super cards, right? So you've got like a PDF where you can print the eight most powerful, and you can get that at collaborationsuperpowers.com slash superkit. Excellent. Thank you very much, Lizette, for having joined the, the podcast. 
my honor. Thank you. This was an episode of Le Podcast on Emerging Leadership. To find more episodes, join us at emergingleadership.network. See you. Bye-bye.